This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5. Last week we saw that Jesus is Lord over the storm And today we're talking about the fact that he is Lord over demonic power. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 this morning as we're continuing to walk through the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5 and beginning with verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to to take the model of discipleship that we see in this text, that being touched by your power and your grace, that we would desire to sit at your feet and to drink in your healing truth, and then that we would be willing to be sent out as your witnesses in this world. We thank you for your, your power that we see here, 
your grace that we see here. And we thank you that you are still in the business of transforming lives. And so we pray that you would make this a time of transformation in our lives and equip us to go forth and minister to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, which is all about spiritual warfare, says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. As usual, Lewis gives some very wise counsel here. And what can help us to avoid both of these errors is doing the very thing that we're doing with the Gospel of Mark. Because when you walk through books of the Bible, then you see things in their proper context. And in their proper perspective. So, as we study the book of Mark, we see that spiritual warfare is a reality. Satan is real. Demons are real. But when we study the whole book, we we learn to put things in the proper perspective. Let's seek to do that today in this text. Let's let's talk, first of all, about the the setting of this text. It it begins in the first verse of chapter 5 when it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, scholars believe that this happened right here in 1970. A bulldozer that was building a a, a road on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee discovered the ancient town of Gergesa. And for many reasons, scholars believe that's where this incident took place. And you notice here that, that, that on the edge of the Sea of Galilee at Gergesa, there is this steep bank where this would have happened. This is the other side. Of the Sea of Galilee. And if you were here last week, we've been seeing that Jesus has been on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. He's been teaching parables. He taught from a boat. He was standing in a boat. There were thousands of people that were gathered on shore. And that day, at the end of the day, as the sun was setting, Jesus told his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And we talked about last week, those were revolutionary words. Because the other side of the Sea of Galilee was a dark place. It was a place where most religious Jews did not go. It was a Gentile area, which is seen by the presence of this herd of pigs. But Jesus was all about going to the darkest places with his light and with his love. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And Jesus was a doctor who made house calls. He went to those who were in the most desperate need, and he calls us to go with them. And so last week we saw that when the evening came, without ever getting out of the boat, they began to cross over to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And what happened? In the middle of the night, this ferocious storm, this, this storm of unusual violence suddenly came up on the Sea of Galilee. 
And we talked about the fact that this was no ordinary storm. There was probably a demonic element that was in this storm. And we saw last week in chapter 4 and verse 39 that Jesus awoke and, 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 and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And we talked about the fact that the word rebuked here was the same word that was used in, in other cases when Jesus would, would rebuke demons. And we talked about the fact that, that Jesus spoke directly to the wind and the waves as if there was a, a personal element in it. A demonic element was, was there. You know, Satan just absolutely does not want Jesus to, to, to be uh, where he is going because he's going to a place that is incredibly dark, to, to, to lives that have, that, that have been under the grip of the enemy. You know, there are people in our lives that we think are so far from God. And, and we have trouble sometimes imagining what God could do in their lives. But listen, Jesus saw people not just for what they presently were. Jesus saw people for who they could be by his power and grace. And he calls us to see people like that. Oh, I think Russell Moore is so on target when he says this. The next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic today. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted porn star today. The next Augustine might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now. But the Spirit of God can turn all that around. Yes, He can. And He delights in doing so. And that is exactly what we see in this text. Now let's look secondly at the the, the scene of where this takes place Look at verse 2 with me. It says, When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now Mark here stresses the immediacy of what happened. I mean, no sooner had Jesus stepped out of the boat than boom, there's demonic power right in front of him. So you put the pieces together, what's happened the night before, you've got, you've got this storm which seemed to have been demonic in nature and now he, he reaches the other side of the sea and, and steps out of the boat and immediately is confronted with demonic power and, and, and again it just shows that Satan did not want him in this place you know, this has been Satan's playground the, the, the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee has, he's had the run of the place and he doesn't want Jesus anywhere near you know there, there are places in our world that are like that. This is the 1040 window. And of all of the unreached people groups in the world, 88% of them live here. They live in this rectangle. And the people in this part of the world uh, are held captive 
by the, the enemy. And the enemy is using all kinds of things to, to hold, to, to bind them. He's using false religion. He's using corrupt totalitarian governments. He is using poverty and oppression. He is using things like human sex trafficking. He, he has had the, the, the people in this area of the world in his grip for centuries. This is the other side of the Sea of Galilee in our world. And Jesus calls us to go there, and we are going there. And there are missionaries from our church that are there now. And through your giving, every single week, as you give week by week, as you support the work of the International Mission Board, you are shining a light in the darkest of places. Because this area of the world is the primary focus of our International Mission Board. And, and, and not everyone can go personally, but every believer is called to send. And through our giving and our prayers, all of us are a part of going to the other side where it's the darkest and, and shining the light of Christ. But look, you don't have to go to the 1040 window to, 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 to encounter people that are bound. We pass by houses on our way to church today. Many of them nice, neatly mowed lawns, pristine exteriors. But I want to tell you, inside those homes, there are people that are bound by the enemy. And he's called you and me to go to them with the light of Christ. And maybe you work in, in an environment, a workplace or an office or whatever, or go to school uh, in a place where you, it, just, it is so dark. There's a lot of darkness out there. And the place where you work or the place where you go to school seems uh, so dark and the people are so bound. Let me tell you something. That's why God's got you there. You're His man, His woman, His boy, His girl, His agent in that place. Because the power of the gospel transforms lives. And I want you to be encouraged that you're right where he's called you to be. And you are to speak of Jesus and love people in the name of Jesus and shine the light of Jesus where he's placed you. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says of this man that he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Now Mark here emphasizes the supernatural demonic strength of this man. Now what did Jesus say when we, looked at, at, when we studied chapter 3 of Mark? And we looked at chapter 3 and verse 27. What did Jesus say there about, about Satan? He said... No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now the strong man that Jesus was referring to here is Satan. Satan is a strong man. But I want to tell you something. In Jesus Christ, he has encountered an infinitely stronger man. And Jesus here is beginning to bind him. 
And Jesus is going to plunder Satan's house and devastate Satan's reign. Satan has had this poor man bound, utterly bound, probably for years. Let's look at what his life was like. Verse 3 says he lived among the tombs. Even in life, he's been consigned to a place of death. That's what Satan's about. He's about death. And Jesus is about life. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief, speaking of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What else do we see about this, this man? Well, we see in verse 5 that night and day he was among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and, and cutting himself with stones. Another mark of demonic uh, activity is that he, he causes people to do self-destructive things. This man's not only a human wrecking ball, he's a human wreck. He's cutting himself. He's into self-destruction. You know, there's a lot of demonic activity in our culture today. There are people that are doing all kinds of self-destructive things. Just this week, I, I read that the, the suicide rate uh, has, reached, has reached a level that has not been in in decades, drug addiction, and particularly the uh, addiction to heroin and to prescription drugs, opiates, th- these things are just have reached unprecedented levels. Self-destruction. Now look, I'm not saying that everybody who does something that's self-destructive is possessed by Satan. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that whenever we do things that are self-destructive, whether we realize it or not, the enemy is involved in that. And here's the reason. It's because we were created in the image of God. And Satan is all about marring and destroying that image. And so a mark of demonic activity is, is, is self-destruction. And we see that here. But things change. They change big time. They change instantly when Jesus Christ shows up. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, already in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen time and time again that every time Jesus encounters demon-possessed people, that the demons that are possessing the person are utterly terrified of Christ. Because they know who He is. They know who He is. I mean, people at this point are still trying to figure it out. Even the disciples are still trying to figure it out. The demons know. And the moment that they see Jesus, they recognize him for who he is as a son of God. And they are utterly terrified. It says they fell down. 
before him. That, the, the Greek word there for fell down, it's the word where we get the English word prostrate, like to fall flat on your face. They're terrified of Jesus. So what does that tell us about how we should approach spiritual warfare? Should we be, should we be afraid of, of Satan? Well, no, because they're terrified of Jesus, and Jesus lives within you as a believer. So our approach is that we're, we're not afraid of Satan or demons. I mean, they're terrified of Jesus, and we're united to Jesus, okay? But we are to be alert to stay close to Jesus because he is our protection. And when we allow our lives to drift away from Christ, then we're, we're opening up our lives to satanic attack. You know, entropy is a word from physics that means that everything that's left to itself tends to deteriorate. And listen, when we, when we just leave our spiritual lives to themselves, then, then our, our, they deteriorate. Listen, we are called to, to cultivate our relationship with Christ. To draw close to Him. To seek to stay close to Him. He is our protection. He is our strength. And the, and the closer that we draw to Jesus, the more that we see His love and His beauty, the less allure that Satan's temptations have. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, If my thirst for joy and meaning and passion is satisfied by the presence and promises of Christ, the power of sin is broken. We do not yield to the offer of sandwich meat when we can see the steak sizzling on the grill. So, how do we... How do we stay close to Jesus so that we're seeing and savoring Jesus? And the power of sin just loses its allure. We do that through the scriptures. We do that through prayer. Okay, all the the spiritual practices that we're called to individually. But listen, we also do that in community as a church. I want to tell you something. Spiritual warfare is a team project. Well, we are not meant to battle the enemy in isolation. He gives us a church family to be a part of as we encourage and support one another and, and build one another up. A few years ago, a rabid wolf got into an aboriginal settlement in northern Canada and attacked a couple of people, a young man and his grandmother killed a bunch of sled dogs and and here's the thing there were 150 sled dogs that were in that encampment more than enough to handle one rabid wolf no problem here's the problem they had the dogs tied up and separated from one another so that they couldn't reach each other they couldn't help one another so when the wolf came in he had free reign In isolation, 
the dogs couldn't handle the wolf. We are not meant to do this battle in isolation. We're to help one another. We need a church family in order to, 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 to battle the enemy. Look at verse 8. Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, in the ancient world, there were non-Christian people who tried to cast demons out. And, and they would, they, these pagans would use all kinds of, 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 of formulas, like magical formulas, to try to cast out demons, long, convoluted incantations and so forth. What does Jesus do? Come out. One word of command. What did he do the night before when he calmed the sea? Peace, be still. It's no, no long convoluted formula. It's just, just, a, just a command. A simple, straightforward command. What does God do when he, when he created the world? God spoke. And it was so. God spoke at the beginning of creation. And what did he do? He brought order out of chaos. What did Jesus do the night before as a storm was raging? Peace be still! And he brings order and peace out of chaos. What does he do here? Come out! And he brings beautiful wholeness and order to this man's life that has been in chaos. The night before... He quieted the storm on the sea. And in the morning, he quiets the raging storm inside of this person. And he's bringing new creation to him. Look at verses 11 and following. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, in a way, this is a picture of the enemy's future. Because according to the book of Revelation, what's his future? It's going to be thrown into a lake, right? The lake of fire. And this is a foreshadowing. Let's look at the aftermath of this. What happens afterwards? Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. You know, 2,000 pigs screeching and rushing down a steep bank and being drowned will attract a certain amount of attention. And what about this man? He's notorious! Everybody in the whole region knows about this guy. And they, they've heard about this incredible transformation that's taken place. They've, and they've come. Uh, they, have, they have gathered there. And, and, and what do they see? Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there and clothed in his right mind. What a beautiful picture. Of what the Lord can do. This man has his life back. He's whole. He's, he's, he, this is a picture of discipleship, isn't it? 
Because as a disciple, what do we want to do? We want to be, sit at the feet of Jesus, right? We want to take in his truth. And then, then what does he do? He sends us out to minister. That's exactly what happens to, to this man. But he's sitting here. He's healed. He's whole. He's serene. But notice the reaction of these townspeople. At the end of verse 15, it says they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, first of all, the sheer power of Jesus. But there's something else. There's probably an economic motivation that they had in wanting Jesus to leave. Look at verses 16. And 17. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 2,000 pigs were worth a lot of money. How much value would our 2,000 pigs or 200,000 compare to the value? Of one soul. But they don't see it. And a lot of people in our world. Don't see it. Do you see it? What about all of the material things. And the money that we are tempted to hold on to so tightly. What is it worth? What is it ultimately worth compared to the value of one soul? These are the kinds of thoughts that we need to think about as we evaluate our giving and our approach to financial stewardship. Look at verses 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Several things here that we need to get from verses 18 through 20. First of all, in verse 18, look at his desire simply to be with Jesus. He begged him that he might be with him. What is your desire for intimacy with Christ? How badly do you want to be with him? A mark of healthy discipleship is that we desire the presence of God. And we want to be with him. Look at verse 19 again. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, this is fascinating because this is not a, what, on the other side of the sea. When he's mainly, he's been ministering with, with, uh, with Jewish people, he's oftentimes, Jesus has told him the opposite, right? He's done these healings and so forth, and he says, don't tell. The reason for that, as we talked about before, is that the people on the, the Jewish people on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, they had all kinds of, uh, of, of, of messianic expectations that 
um, were different from the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. They wanted a political Messiah. They were, they, they were, they, if, if Jesus had just allowed everything to be out in the open of, 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 of his identity at that point, they would have tried to, to make him a political king. And Jesus wasn't into that. So often he would tell them, you know, to, to, to keep what he had done for them uh, hush hush. But he tells this man the opposite. Why? Because in this Gentile area, these people don't have all these false messianic expectations. They're, they're more of a blank slate. There are a lot of people in our culture who are more of a blank slate. And we are to fill in that blank slate with the gospel. Or it will be filled in with something else. There's something else here that's so beautiful that we need to get from verse 19. When Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you, Jesus is speaking these words not just to this man. He is speaking them to you and me. He is saying to us, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Listen. We should make thanksgiving, gratitude, just a huge part of our lives. Cultivate the practice of counting your blessings. Of thinking about, thinking often about the goodness of the Lord, thinking often, meditating on how much He has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And when you, when you, the more that you cultivate that kind of, of thankfulness and gratitude, that, that produces joy in our lives and it produces a contagious joy. And we want to tell other people about the Lord. Verse 20 and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I mean, just think about it. We often think of the Apostle Paul as the first apostle to the Gentiles. And this man doesn't hold the office of apostleship. <laughs> but in a way, he is an apostle because he is being sent to the Gentiles. And just think about this. This man who has been just a complete wreck life is transformed and he is being sent as a witness to his family to his friends just as we are called to be that he's to go and tell the story of his healing and the story of his redemption but listen there is a larger story here that we don't want to miss because how is healing ultimately possible how is christ's triumph over demonic authority ultimately possible it's ultimately possible because jesus is headed to jerusalem where he is going to allow all of the darkness and all of the evil to fall squarely on him because this story in mark is moving where it's moving to jerusalem and what's going to happen in Jerusalem? What are we going to see? Who is going to allow themselves to be cast outside the city, stripped of its clothes? 
bleeding, having stones cutting into his flesh because they're embedded into the end of the, of the lash that he was whipped with. Who is going to be cast outside of Jerusalem among the tombs to a place called Golgotha, the place of a skull? You see, ultimately, healing is possible because by his stripes we are healed. Ultimately, healing is possible and, 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 and darkness is, is quenched because Jesus went to the cross and took the darkness on himself. Jesus let all of the darkness and all of the evil converge on him. Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he is going to allow the enemy to do his worst to him. The worst thing to him so that you and I can experience the best thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus took darkness upon himself, took evil upon himself, that we could be healed and that we can experience abundant life and eternal life that Jesus alone can bring. As we just continue to meditate before the Lord, if you're here and you've never turned your life over to Him, friend, the door is wide open for you to do that. The work is done. He's gone to the cross for you. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. New life is available to you. New creation can begin in you. He calls you to repent and trust in Him. Just turn. Turn decisively from trying to do your life your own way apart from Him and turn to Jesus and welcome Him into your life as your Savior and your Lord. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you're here and you're saying, that's my commitment. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I'm following Him. Then we want to invite you to come. I'm going to be right here at the front. Share with me what God is doing in your life. We want to celebrate with you. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, listen, we cannot do this alone. can't do it in isolation. We're called to do it together. And if God's speaking to you about being a part of our life together here at First Baptist, we want to invite you to come as well. So Father, now we give you this time of invitation. We pray for you by your power, by your grace, for your glory to work in all of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, 
I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.